The EMS Garage is a production of emsradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. The EMS Garage Podcast. I'm Chris Monterey, your host, the geeky medic on all those websites. You've heard me talking about several shows recently, and if you're in vocal, you're actually going to get to sneak, see a sneak preview of a show I'm working on. Oh, it's got to go the other way. Glasses got to go the other way. There we go. Yes, my dear friends, it's EMS Geek, and it will be coming to you soon. I can't wait. It's awesome. You know what? I actually went to our local pharmacy and found one of these. If you know what this is, I won't give you anything. But it was only 85 cents. It's a pocket protector. Who would have known? And, it was, and I bought the last two. <laughs> so anyway, I'm your host, Chris Montero. Tonight, we're going to be talking about those silly Brits and the paramedic in Britain that decided to take his tea break instead of responding to a 999 call. And I actually invited Mark Lindcourse on for this show and his British friends, but they all felt like it was, I don't know, 3am or something and couldn't come on. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about the paramedics of the 21st century, an article from gems.com that was written by our very own Dr. Bledsoe talking about kind of the future of, of paramedicine and where we need to be in the next, uh, hundred years. Eh, who knows? Maybe 10. I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, joining me tonight is my very esteemed panel of guest hosts and uh if you're watching on vocal you can watch us there every week live we're only doing one more live podcast this month and it will be next thursday night at 8 p.m mountain standard mountain standard time next week it's mountain daylight this week mountain standard next week and then we're going to take two weeks off one week for uh me to go to vegas and present at the american ambulance association and then the following week is thanksgiving and boy i couldn't really ask these guys to take off on Thanksgiving to join me. So, uh, joining me first, as always, Mr. Kyle David Bates. Hello, sir. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Getting ready. Getting ready to fly out here shortly. Where are you going? Anchorage, Alaska. Excellent. Hopefully some nice, up there. That ought to be a nice place. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. It's uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, whoa. Lectures. Whoa. Hang on. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Oops. I invited Greg Friesen inadvertently. I will edit that out, and I really will. <laughs> You're going to... Okay, so start that again, Kyle. You're going to... <laughs> going to Anchorage, Alaska for the symposium up there. Very so cool. It should be kind of fun. Doing a whole bunch of lectures throughout the week. Taking the family. Very yeah, nice. Six hour playing around with the three year old with ADD. Ooh. ADD? Well, <laughs> I, it should be more appropriately AD 
OST. Benadryl. Ooh, shiny thing. Benadryl. Benadryl, it makes him just the opposite. Well, okay, then Ambien. Hmm. I was thinking um, Bacardi's or <laughs> Brandy or... You mean for you? Oh, the no, flight? that's the white. Yeah, ah, just for right. the flight. Yeah. No, I mean for everybody else on the plane. <laughs> exactly, yep. Yeah, nice. Right on. Well, I'm yeah. glad you're going out there. Also joining us tonight, Mr. Brad Buck. Hello, sir. Get your pants on. Turn your mic on. There Sorry you about that. Hey, how you Hello. doing? Hello. Nice I'm to see I'm doing you. fine, thank you. Right on. And uh, I hear you're one of two finalists in something coming up soon. I am. Is that public uh, knowledge? Yes, yet or? I uh, I'm I'm a finalist to uh, become manager of the the service I work for. I'm one of two people that uh, I had my medical director interview today, and we'll see uh, we'll see what the outcome is. I think it went well, but I'm a pretty poor uh, I'm pretty poor at reading in those sorts of situations. Any other situation, I'm fairly decent at reading people, but uh, uh, under these sorts of conditions, I'm I'm dumb as a rock. Ah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. If you if you're half as smart as I, I so. as I know you are, you'll be fine. Well, and uh, and if 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 this works out, then uh, I suppose I'll become a, a guest on your other podcast too, Chris. <laughs> right on. Very cool. Uh, also joining us tonight, Mister or Doctor. Sorry, Doctor Jeff Myers. Hello, sir. Good evening. How are you? Good. Nice to see you. Finally. The uh, the camera wasn't working very well with uh, along with the sound last week, so I got everything working this week. Ah, you look good. Thank you. Right on. Also joining us, Mr. Scott Keir. Hello, sir. Hello, Chris. How are you? Good. Nice to see you and not your kitty on camera. She's back there. And, well, <laughs> we don't need to see it again. Thank you very much. I like I like I like James's baby versus the kitty. Just saying. Um, you know, I know. There's the enough. There's enough do. LOL cats on on the internet that we don't need more. Beer. Yeah, your beer's good. That's fine. Also joining us tonight, Mr. James Warmoth. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. How's that baby? He's Alive screaming right now. So mom's got him. Oh, very nice. Thanks for not bringing him on. It's probably a good thing. All right. So coming up first, those silly Brits and the. Gentleman, the paramedic that didn't take a 911 call because he decided to drink tea. And Kyle, you had kind of a story before the show started. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Let's have some afternoon tea first, though. Ah, okay, very good. Okay. So we uh, we got this this article off of EMS World this week. It's about a UK paramedic that refused a 911 call because he was on his tea break. Um, the family of a young woman who had a heart attack and died are demanding an inquiry after the ambulance driver refused to respond to a 911 call because he was having a cup of tea. So the relief technician drove in, took the call, then a helicopter came, and subsequently the poor person died. Um, thoughts? I mean, other than incompetence or maybe that's why I wanted to get Mark on because he would have a different perspective. I'm sure there's some sort of different perspective from the UK system, but I don't know. Well, I think I I don't know what kind of different, what kind of different perspective can you, can you have? Well, I mean, this, uh, they may do things differently and it's an entirely different culture, but 
I, I believe anywhere you go, the intent is that you know you're in service and you're available to 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 make a call. But why and, do we do uh, that? You know, here's the thing: is you go over to Europe, and you know, just from watching Chronicles and, and kind of like trying to talk to um, a little bit about this with Mark previous aspects, they get their breaks. Why can't we get breaks? Why in EMS? Why are we, we one, really one of the only industries around that from the time we punch in and the time we punch out, if we punch out, we could be running the entire time. It goes back to what we were talking about last week about you know rest breaks and sleep you know and being able to sleep. And I think that's something that we have to think about is we run and run and run. I think we're killing ourselves doing that you know they need to either hire more people we run bare bones as, as it is like for example today we ran all day no breaks well how about this how about compare this with what happened in tennessee you know you have you have a fire department that refused to res- not that didn't refuse to respond but was not obligated to respond because it was an unsubscribing party how is that any different from a paramedic getting a break in a different system this is something that is afforded to them they're supposed to be able to compensate for it within the system. It's part of life as a paramedic in England. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's completely different from over here. So, I mean, can, can you really fault him from taking the break that he is afforded every day? Uh, yeah, but, I mean... You know, even hospitals, you know, the hospitals complain all the time. They're like, oh, it's so busy here. But, you know, they get to go pee. You know, they get to go run in the break room and grab some meat real quick in between charting pages. We don't get to do that. Actually, I have to put a Foley in uh, when I'm on shift. What's that? Doc? I have to put a Foley in when I'm on shift because we don't get to pee. <laughs> Nurses do that. Kind of just making light of what uh, what Kyle said, but now, you know, I, honestly, I think it's I think it's uh, not just confined to uh, to EMS. I think it, it I also see it with the police department. I see it in the hospitals. Um, you know, in the U.S. compared to our European neighbors, I think we are working uh, a lot more than our European colleagues. Well, and and I I had this example earlier last week. We were having a management meeting, and we were talking about this idea that we always feel obligated to be on call, to listen in when our ambulances are busy as managers. Is that right, though? I mean, should we always feel like, you know, we have said, we have set the expectation for our service of X amount of ambulances. And when those resources are exhausted, then we rely on mutual aid. But me as a manager and several of the people that work for me all feel the same way. We feel guilty when somebody doesn't go to the next call. So is that an untoward expectation upon ourselves? I started out as a volunteer 22, 23 years ago. So is that something that has been put on me over time that I'm doing to myself? Or is it that it's just our system? And we have just grown up in the system where we always expect that we're going to go sh- show up to help somebody, no matter what the cost is, family, family time, friend time, whatever it is. We we don't have a work life balance, so we said, "Hey, we're just gonna we're just gonna go take a call." That's why they can pay us ten dollars an hour to do what we do, because they know we're not going to strike. They know that we're they will always be there, you know. And I was for that mindset for a long time. 
being a volunteer and, and working as a volunteer, but it's getting to the point now where call volumes up, demand is much higher, education responsibilities are up there. We need to start getting paid for what we do. We need to start being at that point. I'm not telling you that someone's good in this. You know, we all kind of have that moral obligation to help out, but it's We completely lost Kyle. Lost me again? Yeah, that was you were completely garbage oh, there. Back. Sorry. You're back though. I'm back. Yeah. What is going on? Maybe it's you. Hang on. <laughs> well, you were saying something about volunteers and people getting busier and then you just and you turned into robots. How's that? Any better? Uh, possibly. Keep talking. We'll see. Oh, boy. Uh, but, you know, I think the thing is, is, you know, I was a volunteer once, and there's nothing against the volunteer aspect, and, and it's great to have those folks, but we need our breaks. We need to be able to take you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, even just grab something healthy to eat. Mm. This running on and on and on is, is, is killing us. I'm not saying that you're just going to ditch somebody who's having a heart attack next to you. But I think we all kind of do it. We all kind of, you know, walk around, you know, with a hand up against our, our head like this, not looking for anything because we want to go home or we, we just want to go to the supermarket and not worry about it. Good point. At what better. point, though, do you step past the legal or not legal, but the uh, the employment obligation that you have to something and step into the ethical obligation that you have to it? Um, you know, I, I can compare it all day to to what happened in, um, you know, in Tennessee or what happened in D.C. earlier this year with, uh, with the medics who were, quote-unquote, hiding from the mass casualty shooting in their primary area. At what point, um, you know, do, do you surpass the fact that you were out of service, the, the fact that you had no obligation to respond and transcend into the, the level where you're at where, this is what you do when there's somebody who has an emergency and you have to act. I mean, where where is that line? And how do you determine who crosses it and who doesn't? You know, and that's that's kind of what I think we're dealing with here is, is yes, this guy was on his break, but should he have gone, even though he was on his break? Um, if it was me, I would have gone, but I'm over here. I'm in a completely different system than he's in over there. I. It's it's hard to make a comparison. It's it's kind of an apples to oranges thing to me. I, I, I don't think, think we, I don't think we have all the information either. Uh, too, I mean, we're just basing it off of the news reports, which um, may not be as accurate. And there may be some other mitigating factors that are in there that um, uh, that you know, might lessen the outrage that we have by by the story, and we may end up never never knowing unless we talk to somebody uh, uh, closer to the system. But um, yeah, on the surface, it's uh, it's appalling. But again, there may be some other things in the background there. Well, Jamie brings up a good point, and this happens because EMS in the U.S. is pigeonholed into non-medical services. And then the other question that I thought was pretty interesting from the audience is how do breaks for doctors and I would add slash and nurses compared to those for EMTs and paramedics. Uh, I know as a paramedic, uh, I never really got a break. I mean, you were expected to have downtime, but if you were busy, you were busy. And you did what you could when you could. And if it was 24 hours of back-to-back calls, that's what you did. And 
that's probably an unrealistic edu- uh, expectation for people to do for their rest of their career. I, and I liken it, and Dr. Myers, sorry, but it, it, it might be a little bit like the interns. I mean, you kind of treat them like scut, and then, you know, but that's only for four years. And then they get to move on and do something else or two years or whatever their internship is. And then they get to move on and, and do that to other people, unfortunately, or residency. Um, but uh, doc, what do you think? How does this, how do our breaks really compare to yours? And you said sometimes you have to put a Foley in, but is that because you're just so busy and you're the only doc on or what's, what's the deal? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it varies. I mean, the volume varies. The, the type of hospital varies. Um, you know, where, where I work, we do have residents, uh, who, and when there's another attending on, when we have double coverage, it does allow us to take a, you know, a couple minutes to either go to the bathroom or grab something to eat. But when I'm on overnights uh, by myself, and, and Kyle can vouch for it when he comes in uh, sometimes, I, I never really leave the department. Um, so, you know, and, that, and that's usually a good six to eight hours that we're a single coverage, uh, and I never leave the department. Um and that's just because I need to need to supervise. I, when I worked in a community hospital setting, it was busy. I worked at a busy community hospital, and I wish I'd have five minutes to go into the bank to just grab something to eat. Um, so I, I mean, I know those are busy places. I have colleagues that work in very low volume hospitals that get to sleep at night. I'd never even would think of doing that where I am. But do the I mean, Chris? You, yeah, go ahead. We're we're immune from all sorts of different laws. I mean, you know, the the normal workforce laws don't apply to us in our profession, such as, you know, over this many hours, you're entitled to kind of you know, uh, you know, a half hour for for lunch and 15 minutes here, whatnot. But the same thing is the safety standards for ambulances don't, you know, those don't apply to us. You know, I mean, a, a truck hauling cattle is safer than the ambulances that most of us operate out of. You know, that trailer has to meet higher standards than the box that's on the back of our ambulance does. And there's just all sorts of things that just they don't apply for us and they never have. And no one has taken the time to attempt to fix that. Hmm. That's a good point. Is is the problem that we're just simply running out of that because we're doing absolute minimum staffing, only staffing the minimum number of ambulances necessary to to cover? Is it just that we're constantly overwhelming the system because we're doing that absolute minimum staffing instead of staffing four ambulances? We're staffing two because it's cheaper. <laughs> That's actually an excellent question and kind of goes back to the whole idea that we had the topic uh, last week talking about 24-hour versus 48-hour versus 12-hour shifts. The more, the more shifts you have, the more people you have to have, the, thus the more, more expensive it becomes. Um, I, I think the other problem is, and I'm not this kind of guy, nor am I advocating it, but I think unions can help the situation. Good or bad, um, and I'm an employer, so I have to say that I'm not for unions, but as an employee that's getting overworked, sometimes those are kind of your best bets to ensure that um, if, you, if you've exhausted, and, I, and I, here's when I advocate a union, when you've exhausted every other way to get to your employer to say, we want better pay, we want fewer calls, we want more medics on the street, blah, 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 
and they don't do it, then it's time to step up and, and, and become an organization that can do collective bargaining and do some other things. And, and that's recognized by the employer. So that, that's when I say that, that you have to take that with a grain of salt. And I think that a lot of that happens in the UK. Most of those, most of the employees over there are unionized in the, in the ambulance service. Chris, I'm going to put you on the spot then with your position Do your folks get breaks. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, We're not that busy. So yes, they do. They do. Well, and the expectation is, is, and it's written in our policy that they are allowed a meal break and the, and if, it, you know, they're allowed so many meal breaks, but at the same time, they're also allowed those meal breaks so that the other ambulance in our district can cover while they're getting even, even if it's a 10 minute break or a 30 minute break. The other nice thing is we transport out of our district 30 to 45 minutes. So inherently they can have a break built into their trip back and they can stop and use the restroom and hit the, unfortunately hit a, hit a fast food place or something like that. But by and large, we're slow enough that they have time, you know, like I said, like I said last week, we have one to three o'clock quiet time at the, at the ambulance service every day, um, in the afternoon, just so that they can rest or do whatever they want, watch TV or, um, that's their time to really, um, kind of use for their own mental well being. And some days they get it, or I'd say most days they get it. Some days they don't, but then they can take it at other times. And I would say by and large, um, they sleep through the night, most nights. Um, now, you know, they get the, the occasional call and things like that, but I mean, it's, it's just kind of the the area we live in. That's why they work on, that's why they do 48 hour shifts because they can, um, I've got to tell you though, if they, if we ever got busy enough and I have a, I have a feeling and Skip and I pretty much agree on this. Once you hit a UHU and that's unit hour utilization where your unit is busy about 40% of the time, um, maybe even 30% of the time where you're actually on task, doing a call, coming back from a call, restocking, things like that. Um, you need to stick another ambulance on the, on the street or do some different shifting patterns because it just becomes too overwhelming. And you hear about these ambulance, these AMR ambulances that are doing a UHU of 1.1. That means for every hour they're, they're, they're doing an hour and 10 or an hour point 10, uh, worth of work. And so an hour and six minutes of work for every hour that they're on the street. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's almost, and that's almost criminal if you ask me, but that's just my, you, you know, you, you can say it's almost criminal, but, but I mean, I'm, sadly I missed last week's podcast, but UHU is, is broken. Oh, um, I agree. UHU we talked about that last week. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't take in task time. And, and, you know, I, I could look at your service, Chris, when you're transporting 30 to 45 minutes away and I can say, well, if you have a UHU of, of 0.25, your medics could be working harder than my medics who have a total task time of 30 minutes per call. I'll tell you what my UHU, UHU is, and you'll, you'll probably same. fall out of your chair. So. Come on. Lay it on me. 0.09. <laughs> I believe it. No, and, and, and you know what? Holy cow. <laughs> so, so imagine taking the amount of downtime that your crews have and making them three times as busy. And I that's, know. that's probably better reflection of what you're looking at when you figure in 30 to 45 minutes of transport of transport time plus patient care time that, that's and what see, you're looking and at. if i take all of that into account my uhu actually goes to 0.25 
and yeah. that and whatever that whatever you want to call UHU, that's why I hate UHU because it's not indicative of true time. And so when I actually put all that in, when I take all of it into account, they're busy 25% of the time. So that means six hours out of a day, they're doing something. Six hours out of a 24. That's uh, plenty busy um, for, yeah, a, for a service that transports um, 30 to 45 minutes away every time they transport. So, you know, uh, I'm okay with that. And, you know, as we, we've had busier, we've had busier times and, you know, we've had this upward trend for a while where we were probably, we were probably getting close to 0.3, 0.35 all in told and the crews were getting burned out. And it's like, oh, they come in and they're just like zombies in the morning. You're like, okay, we got to do something different. And luckily it dropped again. So we were okay. But, um, I, I'm very cognizant of that. Um, as a, as a middle-aged or soon to be middle-aged, uh, medic here, <laughs> I, uh, once I hit 33, I knew it hit me. And now that I'm getting, I'm knocking on the, on 40s door. Um, I can tell you that I don't like 2am and it's not a very fun time for me. So yeah. Um, real quick, I did want to say that Lee Roche from Canada, you won an audible card from it's two free books. I guarantee there is nothing there is no gimmick here it's not that you get two free books if you enter your credit card nope nope you go on the site you sign up for an account no credit card needed and i will give you two free books uh that's on me and audible.com and then also boingo i'm going to give you a free hour of wireless at a hundred thousand locations worldwide uh lee you're in canada and i hope this offer is good there if not email me and i'll send you a free book so um, e- Lee Roche from Canada, email me. Um, he works at St. John ambulance and he emailed me last week and was very happy with our podcast. And, uh, and I'd just like to thank the good people over at Boingo and audible. If you'd like to enter for a chance to win next week, this is a giveaway. It's not a contest. You can get your free audible book and your free Boingo wireless. Um, I have a bunch of them, so there will be giveaways probably till the end of the year. Um, if you would like to do that, please email me emsgarage at gmail.com and we will send it off to you. Um, you are entered randomly into our drawing once a week and we, um, at the end of the week, we will clear that cash and re-enter you. So if you enter as often as you'd like, so Lee, you can enter again. Um, and it's completely random. So we will pick again next week. Um, so I don't want to take too much away from this conversation, but we did diverge a little bit from the topic. And Kyle, did you ever talk about the guy that went through the bank with a patient? No, no, it's, it's I think a- it's funny. I mean, I'm sorry, but is that the type of time we live in where, where we just are starting to see people that yeah, I got to do my personal business on company time, even if there's a patient in the back. Yeah. I think that's the there, there was a there was a case that was publicized a few years ago where a surgeon left a patient under anesthesia to go to the bank. And wow! Come back. Oh, I don't think. Don't yeah, think I mean, it's yeah, and that's the thing that it is. It's, it's we've become. I don't want to use the word callous, but we've become. It's just what we do. It's common in every place. It's like stocking the shelves at the supermarket. You know. You just do your job over and over again. I think sometimes we forget what we're here for and what we do. But I don't think we can underestimate the power of having a lunch or a break. And I think we need to start looking into doing those. 
Well, that's a good point. And there have been times uh, in my career past where I'd walk into Starbucks and you know my partner and I'd walk in and everybody would kind of look at you and I'd be like, ah, it's okay. The patient's in the back. And everybody was just like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm teasing. There's nobody in the back. <laughs> he's but, in the front. He is in the front and he's dead, but it's fine. It's fine. He was a patient. <laughs> no, but people don't get that sarcasm, that, 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 uh, bad humor sometimes. So anyway, um, I have to be very cognizant of that when I'm in public and especially when I represent them. Um, but yeah, hey, but, Chris, I, I know uh, of, a, of a crew that was, uh, they were doing a, a two hour transfer and, uh, about halfway through, um, the attending, he really, really needed to use the restroom. There's no way he was going to make it. And, uh, you know, talked to the, the other guy driving and pulled over and, guy driving hopped into the back to sit with the patient when he ran back in and out and i mean all in all it was 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 two or three minutes but it was one of those where they had ran and ran and ran and really had so little downtime between things that they end up in the middle of a call and you know i guess when nature calls you just have to problem try to deal with it i have no problem with that i think that's fine i mean gosh uh it's two hour transport come on yeah you know what? I used to work for a service where we had a definitive care transport of almost 90 minutes. Um, 911 call to a hospital, 90 minutes and every time. Let me tell you, there were times that you had to figure out what you were going to do. Um, I got very good at when I, I was like Pavlov's dog. Tones go off, go to the restroom. Tones go off, go to the restroom. You just do it every time. doesn't matter. I don't care if you have to go or not. You just go because it's good. So... Yeah, well, I, mean, you got, I mean, there's nothing wrong. With, I don't think what's wrong with that. You, you explain to the patient, hey, I got to use the restroom. My partner's going to hop in back. We'll be out here like three minutes. It's not like he's stopping to get coffee. It's like taking the poop during the cardiac arrest. <laughs> I know it's done happened. That. Never I've never done, done it, but I know someone who did. <laughs> you know, you got to go. You got to go. You know, it's not, it's not healthy to hold your bladder and bowels and can be painful and cause issues. That's the way I look at it. But, you know, it's it, especially when, you know, when we encourage people to drink plenty of water, right? You know, I try to drink lots of water and then I had that one diet soda for lunch and then 25 our, minutes later, I got to go. And in our industry, we may not always drink the appropriate liquid for the type of things we should be doing. So that can lend itself to needing to pee quicker and more often. Tea, coffee, <clears throat> alcohol. So... That does more than water. Um, all right. Well, maybe we have put this thing to sleep, but uh, I just wanted to get the final reactions on this and see what you guys thought. Uh, so this episode is sponsored by the PDU cast all the way from my, my good friend, the image medic and the EMS research podcast. Uh, if you have not had a chance to listen to those podcasts, they are brand new. In fact, episode two, of PDU was shot last week, Kyle. Is that right? Or last weekend? It's last up on it's up online. PDU. It's wheezing season. It is wheezing season, and it's pd ped dash u dot com. No, no, no. Bad name. No. Nope. Oh, what am no, I? P- I don't know. PDI. Oh, dash I. U. I forget the I. It's PD. U. Bad name. Great podcast. So I don't care what's a bad name. <laughs> bad name. Great podcast. Won't forget we it. Love PDU. Oh, you must garage. First, the garage. Hey, who, lo- who doesn't love the garage? And then also the EMS Research Podcast at researchems.com. That'll be actually posted uh, 
don't hold me to this, Harry, tomorrow night or the next night, I promise. Um, because I, I'm waiting for my voiceover person to get some get some cuts back to me. And she's awesome, so we're going to be having that. So this podcast brought to you by those two podcasts, and we're happy to have them on the EMS Radio Network. Um, so second topic was Dr. Bledsoe's article, The Paramedic of the 21st Century. And this story was on gems.com. And was an article about is EMS in the U.S. in the United States heading in the right direction? Um, you know it's one of my favorite topics on the garage, so I could talk about this all night. But uh, I'd have to say a resounding no. And I think we have some issues. We have ambulance safety issues. We have education issues. We have, um, I think we have issues of identity. Uh, and a few other things. So I'll, I'll let you guys turn, I'll turn this over to you guys. And, and I want you to think about this and take it outside of the box that we normally talk in here at the garage. Think about it in terms of the new healthcare reform and in, in the idea of where we need to be as healthcare providers. And let's remove fire and EMS and all the other things because, yeah, uh, here comes here comes Kyle because he's ready. I can tell. But uh, let's talk about it in that light and not really so much as in the box that we normally talk about here at the garage. I think educationally, I think system-wise, it's moving in the right direction. Um, I like to see that we're, we're doing more. We're in, improving our skill base, improving our knowledge. I'm finding, though, that in terms of personnel, in terms of empathy and professionalism, I think we're going the opposite way in a lot of the areas. But why do you feel, but why do you feel that way? A lot of pocket paramedics. I see so many people trying to get away with the least amount of care they can do. Trying to get the easy way out. Trying to... They, they, they forget about the patient. Right. Hang on a minute here. Am I breaking up on you, Chris? You were breaking up a little bit, but now you're back. Okay. Um, I just see a lot of it. I see a lot of the professionalism gone. The more... And it's not just... I mean, I've worked a lot of different areas. I started to see it. It's, I think it's generational. I don't think it's just an EMS. I think it's, it's the... We're seeing a lot of the... You owe it to me mentality. You owe it to me or I deserve this. Mm. You know, you have to give this to me. I think we're seeing that. And I think it, it, it rolls over into our profession and it stands out because of what we do. You know, it's funny. Um, I was on an episode a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Missouri paramedics who had their little refusal issue and uh, Steve Worth had recommended the book, um, the question behind the question, which I went out and I picked up and I read cover to cover in one night. And um, it's all about personal responsibility. And it's, it's really funny. It really addressed a lot of the issues that, that we see and a lot of what I think Kyle was talking about. Um, however, um, just to counter Kyle, I don't think we're going in the direction that we need to go in to, you know, in a, in a clinical sense, I, I think that what we're seeing, um, and a lot of the problems that we're seeing nationally are due to growing pains. I think people want to do more. They want to learn more. And um, they're, they're being held back by their system. And they're being held back by the unwillingness to grow and to expand as, as an industry. Hmm. Scott, you're a geek. But, you know, way. just saying. 
you know, I think Scott, that I, say a that. Lot of people... I disagree with you. <laughs> I see what you're saying, Scott, but you know, in terms of we're, we're people are doing things now that you would never have seen them do 10, 15, 25 years ago. Now, there are some systems that are still kind of behind the times, but just look at the aspect of, of pain management. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a mother may I system for years. And now they're starting to not saying it's great protocols, some of the great protocols, but we're starting to get more pain management out there. We're starting to be, we're moving away from the mother may I in protocols. We're, we're, we're moving away from the call, you know, call a doctor for permission to do something. Um, and more or less going to, you know, consultation and guidelines and doing what's right for the patient. I started thinking that you're seeing a lot more of that now. Uh, you know, I, I don't agree, but okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, you, you, you are right to an extent, Kyle, but at the same time, as, as this does expand, I, I see people's desire to grow more. I, I see very seasoned paramedics saying, well, I'll just give them five milligrams of, or, you know, half the morphine I can now and the rest that I want to give them in five minutes and I'll just document it as such. I, I see people really kind of pushing the envelope and pushing the rules and pushing the protocols because they know that what they want to do is right for their patient and they're not empowered completely to do it. And but as a result, they, pushing, they have to do that. Are they pushing protocols or are they stepping over the line? I think there's a difference between that. I think step, you know, pushing the protocols and taking it to the edge is one thing and actually blatantly disregarding your protocols and going up beyond what the protocols are. I think those are two different worlds. Dr. They Myers. are two different worlds, but they both happen. Yeah, there you go. Dr. Myers, quick question. Um, you're, a, you're a medical director. Do you trust it's your paramedics work. more, or is it just easier to give them standing orders so that they don't bug you as much? Uh, and I want no, to know how to answer, because chat. I don't know. Yeah, no, I saw that on the chat um, as well. But I guess my, my philosophy with, with that um, kind of comes from a, a, a couple different areas, if I can maybe give a little bit longer answer than you thought. Um, you know, on the one hand, any any med control communication takes both the paramedic or intermediate or basic EMT, whatever level you're talking about, takes that person's attention away from the patient. On the same token, it takes the doc away from uh, his or her attention away from the patients that they have in their department. So if that communication is going to add value to the patient care, then it's necessary. If it's not going to add value, then why have it at all? I um, it, at the last protocol revision, or the, in the last protocol revision that we had at the time, uh, the medic had to call in uh, for magnesium to treat torsades. We don't do telemetry here. So how, as a doc, am I going to know on the phone if Kyle calls me up and says, hey, I've got torsades? I'm not going to know that. I can't see his rhythm. So why are we having that conversation? We need to address that with QA. We need to address that with, uh, with education. Um, the, 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 when we made the change to go to standing orders for controlled substances, uh, there was a good amount of research there that showed that it was safe to do. So the, the medics are making appropriate decisions, that they're not making inappropriate decisions in terms of the types of patients that are receiving analgesia, and it actually shortens the time uh, for that patient to get analgesia. So 
yeah, that made perfect sense to do that. So, that, which is why we changed the uh, the standing orders or changed to a standing order approach uh, for the most part. And I, it, yeah, we haven't seen any abuse of that in the what kind of, we've been doing that for two years now, year and a half, I think. Yeah, about that. But you probably won't. It's see not, it's not so much just to get get people off of our off of our backs, or you know, people are annoying us. Uh, but it, it's it's at least that's my philosophy. I, yeah, I can't speak for my other colleagues. But you know, on that, and, and and let me just kind of address it from from a system standpoint, is I still end up calling because the dosing is either low or I'm going to need more than more than two doses. So is it really? You know, in effective protocols, I think that's what we have to kind of look at. You know, on those things is is okay. It gets me off the back for now, but I got a twenty minute transport time. You know, two doses of of you know three milligrams of morphine, four milligrams of morphine may not be effective. So I'm still on the phone. And that's yeah, that, that, and that's that's where the feedback, yeah, you know, the the kind of constant assessment feedback, quality improvement, and not trying to do a witch hunt and, and find mistakes, but. You know, to look at issues oh, right. like that, you know, are we still calling in a lot for morphine because we've got too low of a dose in the in the protocol? You know, so okay, we need we need to up the dose, perhaps, because we've shown that it's uh, safe to do that. Um, you know, that's that's where I address that over time. Does a broken funding slash billing reimbursement system contribute to a broken EMS system? Yeah. Oh, oh. This, this ooh, kind of moves ooh, away. Ooh, uh, ooh. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kyle. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can, I can, we, just say yes and, can we just say yes and move on? <laughs> yes, because the guys at the top of the, of, of the uh, food chain of the commercial services, you know, don't get to drive their Porsches when they have to, you know, put other money to other things. I'm sorry. I still come into that. I've done commercial EMS, and trust me, there's a lot of very good commercial EMS systems out there. But the thing is, it comes down into the bottom line. You know, I think Justin Shore, I, I, I wish I remembered the actual statement he had, but, you know, he doesn't want profit interfering with patient care. I think you start to see that a lot. Welcome to the United States. Next question. I mean, it's not going to ever go away until we fix the healthcare system. And that's, I think we've got to look at it in light of, and I think Matthew, that was a, and Matt, I, I don't know if that's your name, which, whichever way you want to go. Um, but we have that, we are a victim of our own system. Therefore we have to, we have to grow up in it and use it. Now, the other thing that's going to hose a lot of systems at the beginning of the year is the Medicare fractional rule. And that means as paramedics in the ambulance, you're going to have to start counting the 10th of a mile right now. Medicare will pay you one mile. If your wheel on your ambulance turns a one full revolution, that's a mile. Um, and they expect that to save $85 million a year. I have a feeling it's going to be a little higher than that. And that's going to grossly impact a lot of commercial services and it's going to impact our system a little bit, but you know, it's, it's going to be a big hit for many, many services all across the United States. Rightfully so. They've got to save money somehow because they got to save it for, for the future of, of the Medicare recipients. So, you know, that is a broken system. Our our healthcare system and the way we're reimbursed for our calls is broken. Go ahead. It won't only be affecting. I mean, like Kyle made the statement towards commercial. Uh, from the public sector, 
they're also billing and profit plays a role. I mean, there's been a handful of cities and services across the nation that had been city-based that got out of EMS altogether because it was they, they couldn't stay ahead. Uh, you you can't you're unable in this day and age to solely rely on the tax base because most tax bases are not going to support unless you're only running you know a hundred calls a year or a couple hundred calls a year. Uh, but but beyond that, for for the large volumes that many of these services do, you have to be billing and you have to be making so much of that back and figuring that in with the budget and what the taxes are. Or, or eventually the you know the community and council are going to say, well, hold on, you know, we we don't want this anymore. I don't. And we'll I let understand. a we'll let a commercial based service come in, and that costs the taxpayer nothing. <laughs> but you know something, Brad, I agree with you, and 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 the municipal services do bill. A lot of them are billing to do cost recovery and such. But a lot of that money goes back into equipment. That goes back in into into the service, uh, as opposed to into someone's pocket. Into the shareholders. I, I, completely, I completely agree with, with that statement, the way it's kind of being said. And given the current position that, uh, that I am in, uh, I, can, I have to plead the Fifth Amendment on making any further statements. Hey, uh, Chris, I want to put this, uh, this question up. I think Scott yeah. would be a good one for this one. Does EMS address the issues being discussed? EMS 2.0 discusses the issues being discussed by Peter Cody. Scott? I absolutely think that it does. Um, I, I think that everything that that you know the the Chris Kaisers and Justin Shores of the world have put together are are really a lot of forward thinking and 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 evolving ideas. I mean, you know, the the evidence is out there that there's more that we could be doing. Uh, look across the pond. Look at what they do in England. Look at what Mark Lencourse is able to do over there. Look but at they, the options. But here's the problem. But here's the problem. But here's the problem. And I love Justin and I love Chris. Uh, but they do not have the ear of the people that are making the decisions in the United States for EMS. Number one. Number two, we have a problem with our system compared to the rest of the world that we are funded as a commercial capitalist enterprise and insurance companies are always going to want to make a buck. They're in it to make money. They're not in it to insure you. Therefore, we will always have a problem until we can overcome that. Um, EMS 2.0 or Medicine 5.98, it doesn't matter what it's going to be. It's until those issues are addressed at a political level, um, we could have the most we could have the biggest tea party of EMSers ever to be formed, but until those politicians understand what we do every day, and we're such a fractional part of the medical system, that it's very hard for us to get a voice. And that's why I recommend, as much as it pains me, you have to be involved in AAA. You have to be involved in, in NEMSMA. And you have to be involved in the decision makers doing this. Right, wrong, or indifferent, they're the ones that are going to be moving the agendas forward for the next 20 years. And what they do in the next two to three years before 2015 is going to make a difference in our industry for the next 20. 
And if you don't believe that, um, you're sorely mistaken. And we can be sitting here all night talking about how they do things in Europe and how they do things in the UK and how they do things in Australia. But until we make a fundamental change to the way we reimburse in the United States, it's not going to make a hill of beans difference. And trust me, and I'm the service in, I'm the first rural service in the United States to be doing community paramedicine. And I'm sitting here telling you that because until I can get the, the ear of the um, legislators and I can get the ear of the insurance industry, I'm not going to make a difference. I know that. I mean, we can make a difference in people's lives, which I'm very much for. But we still have to figure out a way to pay for it. Well, you know what? Well, and, and you're, exa- and you're just, exactly right. I've, you know, for-profit EMS is, is EMS. If, if, if you're a non-volunteer service, you are a for-profit EMS system. And that, I, I, kind of, I kind of take exception when, when people in different industries refer to the private EMS industry as for-profit EMS because their EMS system is in it to make money to, to support something. And it, and it stinks that we have to be like that. It stinks that we are the one branch of public safety and, and whatever you want to call us that is not taxpayer-funded. Um, but I, I kind of take issue with with you know bringing up NAEMT and and the I didn't NAEMT. I didn't say NAEMT I did not okay, say sorry, NAEMT. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I will okay. not no 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 those people have a way different agenda <laughs> don't get okay, me wrong right. <laughs> okay well well NEMSMA AAA whoever you want to bring up the the problem is is you just named off multiple multiple agencies and we are so fragmented and it's so arrogant of us to beg for change when we can't come together on our own. It's I like did, we want it done for us. I, I used to feel that way, um, but I'm seeing some. I'm seeing a lot of change in in th- all of these agencies are coming together under one thing called Advocates for EMS, and they're the ones that are fighting the battle. And we've all agreed finally over the past two years because um, there was something called the little uh, big meeting we had. Uh, I I kind of forced Gary to call it about. Uh, um, almost a year and a half ago. And we had a phone conference over a couple days and I said, the system's broken. I'm tired of belonging to all you systems. Figure it out. They had, they, they all, you know, they were like, Oh, we play in advocates. we like it. But you know what came out of that meeting, which I was very happy about is everybody said, we're going to work with advocates and we're going to believe in one mission and we're going to pr- put forth that mission every year. Trust me. I think all the, all the associations have their own agenda. There's no doubt about that, but so do the fire chiefs. So Mm -hmm. does, so does the fire union. So does, um, any of the little local unions. I mean, just because see the difference is they have one voice, even though they're, there's a bunch of different fire things or there's a bunch of different cop things. They're viewed as one thing and we will get there. Remember we're young. I think that I have to liken us to where the nurses were in about the fifties. We're going to get there. It's just going to take time and we have to be patient. We want this change to occur overnight and it's not going to, and we have to play in the systems that are already developed. Unfortunately, again, I'm a th- almost 40 year old paramedic saying this cause it's driving me crazy, but we have to work <laughs> in those systems. But Chris, you know, I hear a lot of lip service. I hear a lot of chatter. And I think we brought this up on one of the happy hours when you weren't here is how can we make a difference? How as us, I mean, we talk about this, we podcast on it, we chat, but how do we start making this difference? I think you start by getting involved at, well, it, you know, depends if, if your County has an EMS agency or an association or some sort of a group that maybe meets quarterly and, uh, you get involved with that. Um, 
I actually, uh, you know, I'm getting involved at with my state association, not just as a member anymore. Um, uh, you know, you get involved there and you start to, I think if you, you get out there and um, maybe to start with, you take uh, someone with, you know, my ideals or, or my principles or beliefs. Maybe not everyone else has that same concept, but slowly start to talk and you start to push that. Um, you can get other people agreeing, and all of a sudden you're all working towards that uh, that same ideal. And then now you've got here you're at, the, at the state level. Now you more of the people get involved somehow at a national level. But I think it's baby steps to get there. But uh, you know, we're doing something about it. But it's not like the whole nation listens to this podcast. You know, yes. some of the people yet. that are going to make it's a growth market yet. yet they will they will all they will all listen soon <laughs> well but you know something i see a lot of these associations are good old boys clubs especially on the county levels you know they're they're the people that help establish all these programs which is great you know they they, they put a lot of their time in but they're stuck in that situation a lot of these are are uh, i'm gonna get it's kyle underscore bates at alum dot r-i-t-e-d-u <laughs> or, or gmail.com yeah, but Kyle, so I have agree a, with that. Man, but wait, part wait, of that is you, let me finish. Let me finish. But you have a lot of these volunteers. Most of these services have have a lot of the, the old time volunteer folks on them. I'm sorry, folks, but you know who I'm talking about, and they get stuck in these situations, and they will not move. They will not budge because it's the way they were doing it back when they were advanced first aiders. And it worked. You're looking at the generation that's going to make the change, though. And we see it. And we need to start. And I finally, and again, I'm swallowing a lot of pride here. But you know what? I got tired of talking about it. I went and met with the service to the east of us. And I said, you know what? Um, Let's start looking at all the things we do together instead of the things we do separately. And let's figure that out. So you know what we're doing next year? All of our trainings together. It's It's all commingled. And it's a great relationship. So it's time as an industry that we start looking at the things we do together similarly, because I bet all of our systems are about 95% the same. We all respond to patients. We all, we all respond in some kind of box to get there. We all have things that we use to take care of patients and we all take them to a hospital and we probably all have a medical director, hopefully, unless they're dead and that would be a bad thing. So man, that right there is five things off the top of my head that I know that we all do very similarly. Now we can all disagree about how we respond to the call and how, I mean, when we start looking, it's petty and we are the generation that will make the change and it will take time for the dinosaurs to die off. So until then you have to become involved and you're right. They are old boys clubs and they are annoying. Trust me. I've been there. Um, I started those old boys clubs when I was 22 Um, as a, as a young, as a young buck, sorry, buck or Brad, sorry. Um, but as a young buck EMT, I, and thought, Oh man, I'm out here. I'm going to change the world. Yeah. Okay. Let's see how that got me. So anyway, just saying. Kyle, I, I agree completely that that is part of the, it is a lot of, it is a good old boys club and, well, why do we need to change? You know, this isn't something need to change. Oh, if we're making these sorts of changes, I'm seeing with the uh, the new national scope of practice. Uh, you should some of the complaints that I hear from uh, from the people around me because, oh my God, you know I don't want to go back to school. I'm just going to quit. Well, you know change is inevitable in, in anything, and 
I, I think that this is a change that's taken far too long to to come into the industry as far as trying to to get all the states together as a as a whole, you know, the best that we can. But the thing to do is you have those good old boys club. You get in there, you tolerate, but slowly, one by one, you you push them out and you push them out. And then pretty soon, a few years down the road, it's the new boys club. I really get worried when I hear people say that, oh, well, I'm I'm not going to go back and learn anything new after that get out. I mean, that's just scary. If you look at <laughs> if you just look at the changes that are happening in CPR over the last 10 years, I mean, my gosh, you know, if if I said, "All right, I'm done. I'm never going to learn anything more about this again." I don't know what I don't know how far in the dark I would be in 5 or 6 years. A podcast I did last night with uh, with Scott and uh, Hybrid Medic, and I don't remember who mentioned it, but someone on a call was doing a code uh, from the two CMN newer paramedics. So I started right before the 2005. What would have been before that? The 2000 ACLS standards, 2001, whatever it was. They're doing the stack shocks and everything, and this is somewhere within the last year or two or something, and they were startled for a minute by it, but it's one of these things where uh, I think the, the training and the levels of education for either the BLS or ACLS, sometimes it's very much you go, you really don't have to pay attention, you get rammed through quick, and you get a card handed to you, and that's it. What, what I'm hoping that the new education standards is going to do for us in changing the education paradigm is get away from the um, dogmatic approach that we all grew up in, where what that instructor says is, boom, this is what it is. Sorry, the camera shook. Um, you know, what they said was gospel. It doesn't change. Medicine doesn't change. That's not true. We all know this. I mean, just in the last three or four years, there's been a lot of changes. Um, you know, outside of the uh, Q, uh, the uh, uh, ECC stuff that uh, just came out. Um, so I think we need to instill, and what I tried to do with the, this uh, uh, last paramedic class, I just took over, took over medical directorship of our paramedic program here, uh, was to try to bring that across, that this is a lifelong learning thing. Learning doesn't stop when you get your cart. It continues for as long as you're in the field, and that's that's a that's a, a paradigm that I'm hoping that we'll see shift as we go from this very proscriptive curriculum, uh, which was the national standard curriculum that we operated under for 30 years, 40 years, um, to education standards, something that's a bit more flexible, something that does. Um, hopefully develop critical thinking, hopefully something that does uh, develop the whole lifelong learning paradigm in our students. So I think that's something that's going to help with long-term retention in the field. Hmm. Well, but but the question is, I, I don't know if, um, man, you know, I, I, my my fear is that the national scope has taken us I always get into this argument that the national scope was designed to be the floor and bureaucrats in state offices see it as the ceiling. And we're going to run into this time. We've already done it here in Colorado. The national scope is now we've our scope in New York. and that's all we do. And it's 
pissing me off because that wasn't the that wasn't the intent of the national scope and um the bureaucrats will argue with me and trust me i've had my arguments already and they go no 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 no. that's you know we feel that that's really the best way that we can we can maximize how you paramedics are out there and it's our job to protect the public against you and we're like that's a very draconian attitude yeah i agree I've, I've dealt with that here too well, I think a lot of times these systems are created for the lowest common denominator. And that's one of the problems is, is they're like, you get that one or two paramedics that you just sit there and shake your head going, how did they get their card? And they write the protocols and develop the system so they don't kill people and the system protects them. So what we need to do, and I'll tell you, Maryland was amazing. When I sat there in my class in paramedic school, one of the first weeks, they sat there telling us about how they had the pair of scissors that they would cut up our card when we did something wrong and just instill this fear into us. And every month you, you publish the, the newsletter and on it and the back was all the actions taken against people for, for stupid mm. things. And they weren't afraid to say, you can't play anymore. And I think that's one of the problems is that we have to be a little bit more proactive. Now I'm not saying learning issues or, or something that you made a mistake that, you know, I'm talking about blatant, you know, negligence uh, on that. Those are the folks we need to get out of the system. Hey, Doc, when's the last time your system failed a paramedic? Like, failed them in the education system? Like, you can't be a paramedic because you're, I'm not going to say you're too dumb, but you're just not getting it. Um, we've had some recently. Um, I, I just took over, this is my first year with, um, with the organization, so I don't have a good handle on the history, but uh, it it does happen. It does happen. Okay, that's good. I mean, that's fair, and I'm I'm glad to yeah. see that happening because just because you can make it through the paramedic class doesn't mean you should be a paramedic. And I, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of other great um, jobs out there, and the world still needs more bartenders. <laughs> but you know, it's anyway, interesting thing that you mentioned that we we've been discussing lo, uh, locally here, or regionally here, the whole concept of credentialing uh, healthcare providers. Um, we're used to that in in uh, in the field of medicine with physicians. Uh, the nurses are used to that. Um, however, it's a, it's a concept that some of some administrators administrators in our area have had a tough time getting wrapping their their uh, uh, hands around. Uh, and that's that the, you know, just because you get the card doesn't necessarily mean that you're totally, completely ready to practice. There's still things, some things that need to happen at the local agency level or at the regional level that um, uh, that, that assures the quality of the provider. Just like I have to recredential every year, it, it, it's not any different in terms of uh, in terms of any of the healthcare fields. But Jeff, what does your credentialing require? What 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 do you do as a physician? Uh, besides, the, we're required to do continuing education for the license. The hospital requires a certain amount of that as well. Um, every year, there's an examination of our of our privileges by the um, uh, by the uh, uh, clinical director for the, each department. So, like the surgeons, the clinical director for the surgery department would review the surgeon's performance. I just actually I just had mine uh, with with my uh, clinical director, and uh, there's a whole list of privileges and 
procedures that we're able to do, very much like we credential a paramedic to you know, put in an IV and pace a patient and cardiovert and defibrillate and give medication pushes, yada, yada, yada. Um, and they go through a process of ensuring that we've got enough experience to do that or we've demonstrated a, uh, appropriate level of competency. Interesting question, yeah. though that this raises, and I think we should talk about it another time, but should ambulance services be required to be accredited? And I'm not, I don't mean necessarily CAS, but like JCO or something like that, that. Oh, don't um, say J- don't say JCO. No! Sorry, sorry. No! No, not JCO, no! No! I'm just, I'm bringing it up as an argument. I'm devil's Bad. advocate. Bad, Chris. Bad. Actually, Chris, JCO, um, I learned because we just had our visit uh, a few weeks ago. They can make recommendations, but for EMS, they have no power to write you up to do anything because they can make recommendations, but that's all the further apparently you can go with JCO with EMS and the ambulance because of the fact that they look at that as an outside entity, apparently. Oh, I, I know that. I'm just saying that should EMS be required to be accredited through a body like JCO, not necessarily JCO. And I, I understand that nuance. I don't. What I, mean, what I, about, what I think is come. that we should, we should have to adhere to a set of standards. Let's say you take standards like the CAS standards or something of that nature. And you have to adhere to these standards. You have to fall in there uh, with some flexibility or whatnot, you know, because you can get into that debate when you start to talk about accreditation. And Kyle, uh, you might know a lot about this too from the air medical industry and 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 that accreditation process. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not all that it's cracked up to be. You can no. meet all of those requirements and have a completely safe system and follow all of those rules without spending the tens of thousands of dollars to put a sticker on your, on your vehicle. I would say, Brad, I agree with a hundred percent. I think the thing is, is that if you did accreditation, you, it, to me, I think it's, it's a money making event for the accreditors. And that's really what it is. Uh, if you're in a system where you don't have competition, accreditation is pretty much who cares. We've looked into it for not only the flight service I was at, but we also looked into it at the ground service where I was a director. And we looked at it, and we, we had a lot of stuff established, but we're like, why do we want to spend that much money? What is going to be the return on investment? And there was very little bit of that. Ah, but that's not – you guys are missing that. the point. No, you're missing the point. The only thing I would – No, you're missing the, the point. I would disagree with that on, um, because, and I'm, I, I deal with this from a program standpoint as well, is the accreditation process, even though it's a pain in the rear end, and, and, and Chris, I'm sure you can appreciate this, it's a pain in the rear end, but it forces you to take the time out to look at your systems and look at how you're doing doing things. Are you measuring things right? Are you doing something with those measures and not just letting them fall by the wayside and, and create more paper? But it gives you that opportunity to, to see what you're doing as, as a system. Now, hopefully through that, you'll either find that, hey, yeah, we're doing the right stuff. Great. Awesome. Glad we did this. You know, we'll look at it again uh, soon. You know, Hopefully, what it'll do is it'll identify some serious issues that may actually end up saving you money, or or whether it's from a risk management standpoint or an operational standpoint. 
I don't disagree with you, but it costs so much money to get accredited. It doesn't. I'm not talking about and, the and money. You're you're missing the point. I am Kyle. talking about the money. You're you're missing the point. The point is the point. is putting a standard on our industry that we have to meet. How many how many CAMES accredited flight services are volunteer? Flight how many services period how, volunteer uh, doesn't? How many JCO accredited hospitals are volunteer? Hmm. How many CAS accredited ambulance services are volunteer? I guarantee that if we all had to meet a standard through accreditation, there would be a better industry overall. And that is the final word. Because <laughs> I can. I'm just teasing. No, go ahead, Kyle. I'm, gonna, I'm just teasing you. No, I mean, I agree with that. I, I think we should meet standards. I have no problem with that. I think if maybe instead of you know, charging me, what's the latest? Like thirty to $50,000 to get accredited? Or not even to get accredited, just to, for them to come out and do a site visit. And usually you don't pass the first time. So what's the cost? But $150,000 to get accredited. No, 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 no. It's not that much. It's not that much. No, no. It's like for 10 or 15. For, no, for, actually, I, for I, cast. I just looked at it. Yeah, I just looked at it. We were, we're actually tossing the, the cast stuff around in my service and um a lot of it is based on call volume and you're probably looking at what ends up being about i want to say we we said 25 to thirty thousand dollars over a couple years in order to get yourself where you need to be and get the visits and and get yourself passed and and get yourself accredited you know i think the thing is is what they should do if if they want to link it up link it up going right back to the reimbursement you need to meet these standards if you want to, and if you want to get reimbursed through Medicare, Medicaid, and, and that's yes, why Joint, that's yes. why Joint Commission has their power. I agree with that completely. Yeah, that's that's why Joint Commission has their power because if you're participating in Medicare, Medicaid, yes. you don't get paid if you're not Joint Commission accredited. Or there's a couple of other accrediting bodies now. Thank God. Uh, was that my outside voice? Um, there's a couple of other accrediting <laughs> bodies now, and you know, who, who are approved, but you don't get paid if you're not accredited. And then like Chris said, that that's probably where, probably where we need to go. Chris, not to, it's just an easy place to do a comparison for us too, but the fire service has the NFPA that has developed all of these standards and guidelines. And there's a lot of them that mm. I have no idea where they ever came up with the idea. And, I'm not going to start the discussion on the new ambulance standards. Oh, it's nice that someone is. It's, it's nice that, that someone has, has spearheaded the idea of. This calculator. Let's take a look at this. But EMS needs to develop something <sighs> similar to that. Um, and I don't know where you start, what, what item one needs to be, but you start there and you slowly continue to, to build it. So that we have something that's an equivalent. We have this set of standards, uh, guidelines. We have the recommendations. Because you look at it, the way NFPA works is it's not a law. But if you didn't follow those rules and suddenly you find yourself in court or under the magnifying glass, you're criticized for not following those rules. Where in EMS, uh, that there there isn't any anything for them to go out. I mean, they just... They'll just pull something out of the air to go after you with. And uh, I think it would be nice if we could have a set of standards and we could try to get all services, you know, private, public, volunteer, and everyone onto somewhat of the same page or at least in the same book. All right. So here's the deal. I'm going to stop the podcast because we're running way over time tonight. But um, I will, in December, bring on some people from CAS 
and some very successful, and I'll find a successful system that is not CAS accredited. And I just let, we'll let everybody go at it and just talk about the issues that surround this. Because I agree with you, Brad. I, you know, the sad thing is I agree with all sides. Um, I think it's grossly expensive. I think it's stupid um, to pay $10,000 for a sticker. Um, but I do, but I also have to say, that it does force you. It's something that we're looking at at our service too. The service to the east of us does it, and they they were the first system in Colorado to be um, CAS accredited, and they're a government system. They are. There is no competition from now from 1982 till the end of time uh, for their system, but they did it because it made them better, and they believed in it, and they were they've been CAS accredited for since the early 90s. Um, so. It does make you a better system, but until people are starting to force us to do it, then there's really, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever. But I guarantee that, um, how many ambulance services are there in Iowa, Brad? Just take a rough guess. Oh, including like the volunteer and everything else. Every ambulance service in Iowa. Mama. There's probably about 500. I would guarantee. Yeah, I was I was even going to probably guess uh between 500 and 1000 somewhere. James, how many a, how many in Texas? A guesstimate. Oh, I I can't even begin to imagine. I can pull it up on the website here if just you give me, me just just, just guess. 1000? there's some cities i think there some cities you feel like there's a thousand in one city um i'd say um no ambulance services itself yeah so Um, okay point being and okay so every state has a problem with too many ambulance services if we required accreditation would that not then make them all start to go hmm maybe our neighbor does look good and maybe we should all start talking because why should i have an ambulance service in iowa every 20 miles just saying it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong and i'm sure that several i'll get a lot of uh volunteers emailing me telling me how much they hate me but at some point we have to look what's good for the system alberta's doing it they're merging 55 ambulance services into one i'm not saying we need to merge all of them into one ambulance service in every state but it needs to go that direction, and accreditation will push us that that way. And if you want to get reimbursement, uh, you better be accredited. And maybe we set a deadline of 2015 or whatever, and we start talking about that. But uh, um, I'll, I'll bring some people on in December, and we'll we'll talk about this more in depth because I love it. I think it'll be great. Oh, and uh, somebody in my other chat just said that they did it in Nova Scotia too, and that's absolutely right. So anyway, Ohio has a 425. Whew, that's crazy. That's crazy. Two? Why? In Colorado, in Colorado, we only have 5 million people, and we have almost 200 ambulance services. It's wrong. It's it's almost criminal. So anyway. Hey, Chris, how many of those are CAS accredited in Colorado? Four. Three do or you, four. Do you know? Three or four. In, in Iowa, we have, we have three right now that I know of for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, there's AMR. Uh, Eagle County Ambulance District. And I'm hard-pressed to remember the other two. Oh, Pride Mark. And, and again, it's private, private. And there's one more, and I can't remember. But didn't didn't uh, Pride Mark get bought out, though? They did by Rural Metro. Uh, yes, and I think they Rural did. Metro might be, Cass. And then also uh, Platte Valley Ambulance Service in up near um, Brighton. 
So, but they're again, they're they're a hospital run, not no. not in competition for anybody else, and they did it. So, Tom, Chris, Dick, if you know, one him. thing I can say there with accreditation is three out of the four services that you mentioned, I have heard of and, and I am familiar with. Um, so that says something about the accreditation. True. Uh, I guess the, you know the line that I'm going down is. There tends to be something about those services that sometimes sets them aside. And I find if I see an ambulance in a, in a garage at a hospital I'm not normally at with a gas sticker, in the back of my head, for the most part, I have the idea, or at least at some point, uh, you know, they were very reputable and, and they tend to have their ducks in order and operated a pretty good service. That is not always true because sometimes you can – you can physically almost buy that sticker if you want to keep spending the money and make it work, whether it really is or not. You know, it's all just smoke and mirrors when they come to see it. <laughs> well, that's funny. All right, guys. Well, um, we are really late. And uh, did we lose James? I guess we did. Okay. Well, I'll just say goodnight. Goodnight, James. I'm here. Sorry. Oh, you're there. Oh, I hear you now. I'm I don't here. See I, lost my, I lost my vocal account. Oh, that's all right. Well, so James, tell us where people can find you. They can find me at yellowrubberducky.squarespace.com. Very cool. And Scott Keir, where can people find you? Uh, other than beating you in darts, um, you can find me. <gasps> oh, at- you did not just slap that down. That's <laughs> nice. Wait, wait, here you go. There you go. High five here. <laughs> it's kind of a, like a more low kind of. Yeah, yeah, no, you can find me at uh, 2010ems.blogspot.com. Things have been slow over there for a while, but they're picking up. And um, on Twitter, at MedicSBK. And, um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Brad Buck, where can people find you? You can find me at uh, lifeupcloseandpersonalblogspot.com. You can find me at cfmedic33 on Twitter. Um, you can find me under my name on Facebook and my next endeavor, maybe after the first of the year, will be having a podcast. We'll wait and see. Ooh, you're going to more pod, more EMS podcasts. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. Cool. Dr. Myers, where can people find you? You can find me at photoemsdoc.com and there's the email associated with that. Sorry for the low tech uh, visuals there, but at the last minute. I love it. It was there. Oh, that's good. You know, also, I actually also, were also on Facebook achiever. and I'll be visiting Virginia uh, in a couple of weeks for their uh, EMS symposium. Very cool. And last but definitely not least, the image medic Kyle David Bates. <laughs> ah, image medic on Twitter, KyleDavidBates.com. You can find me over at my two other projects, firstfewmoments.com as well as shut up not a word, P-D-U, P-E-D-I-U.com. Uh, exactly. You won't forget it. And uh, we did Weezing Season just a little bit ago. Uh, so that's up and running. We had a great discussion with Dr. Lou Romig about re- pediatric respiratory emergencies. And probably uh, in two weeks we'll be hosting one with a special guest who's launching a new way of doing drug calculations. But that's where I'm going to leave you right now. Okay, anyway, cool. Yes, and when you go to, if anyone's listening to this who's in Alaska, I'll be in Anchorage as of Saturday. Welcome to Anchorage. Yay. Hey, uh, 
Thanks guys. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for coming on vocal and watching all of our crazy antics and, uh, watching Scott's cat. I don't know why we want to watch that, but Hey, it was there. And I'm Chris Monterey, the geeky medic. And I'd just like to thank a couple people. I'd like to thank PDU podcast for sponsoring. Well, they're not really sponsoring us. We're sponsoring them, but they're, they're one of our newest podcasts on the EMS radio network. We also like to thank research EMS.com as they're another new podcast coming up very, very soon. The new podcast will be up on the website this week and it will be in iTunes very, very shortly. Audible.com. If you want your chance to get this card in your email, uh, two free books, I guarantee there is no gimmick. It's not signing up for multiple in your life deal. There's a code on the back of this and it will give you two free audiobooks. Just email the show emsgarage at gmail.com. Send us your comment. Let us know what you think and or better yet, call because I like the people because we're an audio thing and actually hearing your voice is nice and we'll, we'll insert you into the podcast. Also, you get a free hour of boingo at a, at a hundred thousand Wi-Fi hotspots worldwide. So, uh, email us this week and we will, we'll send that on to you. Um, and just on a personal note, I'd just like to thank everybody for listening. Um, you know, when I started this podcast about a year, almost two years ago, over two years ago now, um, I actually didn't think anybody's going to listen and, uh, I'm happy people are, and I'm actually really happy that people participate and we're getting more podcasts going. Um, I know Jamie feels the same way and, uh, Jamie has been a mentor and a friend to me and I really enjoy, uh, him and I and the working relationship we've created. So thank you guys for joining us. Join us next week when we talk more about issues that concern you and us. Have a great day, night slash weekend slash whatever. Yeah.